No Direction Network presents Pfizercon 2022 Seminar Coverage. For more great convention coverage, check out NoDirectionPodcast.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the third and final day of Pizocon 2022. I'm Brian Bauman, and I'm here with Shay Snow and John Morgantini, and we're streaming at you live from the convention hall. We'll be kicking off today's panel schedule with Game Master 101, where we'll be discussing our favorite GM strategies and take questions from the Twitch chat. But before we do that, I'd like to give each of us a moment, just a few minutes to introduce ourselves and tell you all how we got into playing RPGs and into GMing specifically. So uh, why don't we start off with Shay, if that's all right? Sure. Uh, hi, everybody. I'm Shay Snow. I'm actually an editor over at Paizo. Um, I got into, specifically, I got into RPGs because my dad played Advanced Dungeons and Dragons when I was younger, and he would play for about like 14 hours at a time. Um, so like fast forward and one of my friends was like, Hey, do you want to come over and like learn how to properly play, uh, you know, tabletop games? I was like, yeah, sure. And she's like, we're going to play Pathfinder. I'm like, I've never heard of that system before. And we played exactly two sessions. And then I was like, okay, no, now I'm GMing stuff. Uh, yeah. And then I hobbled together my first little homebrew game and went from there. Wonderful. Thank you, John. Um, yeah. Hey, I'm John. I am one of the customer service reps over at Paizo. So when you send your emails in asking where your stuff is or what's going on with an order or whatever, I am one of the ones who is there to help you. Um, I played a little bit of AD&D in high school. Um, it was not something that was super popular and I didn't hang, in or hang around the kids that, that really played it, but I knew it was a thing. I'd seen the cartoon. I could see the books in the bookstore. And then... I graduated high school, joined the military, and ended up playing a lot on deployments. When when you're in the military, sometimes there's a lot of hurry up and wait, and sometimes you can fill the hurry up and wait with rolling dice and doing imagination things. Uh, and I started with with uh, Shadowrun, and then went from Shadowrun, just kind of went into D and D, ended up playing a lot of Five E, um, and I GM'd a little bit and then stopped, and then didn't really think anything else of it. Life had just kind of moved on. And I had a friend reach out and she was like, hey, uh, I want to learn how to play D&D. And oh, by the way, we're making this podcast. So then I got back into playing, first of all, and GMing and GMing for an audience and playing a system. We were playing Adventures in Middle Earth, so it wasn't quite the regular 5e. But uh, yeah, I've been GMing ever since. Oh, that's great. I uh, first got started when I was probably eight or nine uh, with Palladium. And uh, that game just hooked me because my first character I ever rolled up was an orc that, uh, and the stats in that game are rolled with exploding dice. So you roll 3d6, and if you got all sixes, you got to roll another d6. And if you got a six, you got to roll. And I got, I think, up to my third additional roll. I had like, you know, 20 something or 30 something. strength on that work and uh boy that broke the game completely and i was i was hooked on rpgs ever since um so i picked up like the three five uh box set um and i was the gm for my my friends so i kind of started out just gming all the time and put it down in college but then uh, a friend asked me to play in a new game called pathfinder and uh well here i am today so so yeah i was thinking uh you know, we've just kind of roundtable this and sort of talk about how we approach GMing and kind of see where it goes. Yeah. Works for me. So let's maybe start with uh, prep work. So when uh, I'm kind of wondering, how do you all approach prep work and what do you find it's important to work on? What do you find it's less important to work on? How much do you improvise? That sort of thing. Um, I typically, if it's my first session, like if it's session zero or session one, I do a lot of prep. Like I'll have like Word documents and Excel spreadsheets. I'll have generally Nethys open, um, any of the specialty books that I'm using, I'll have beside me because I do a lot of VTT rather than in person, obviously with today's climate. Um, Mm -hmm. But if it's like a standard session or something, I probably only do about five, 10 minutes of prep, Uh, generally bring up the monsters that I need uh, and just kind of review 
um, you know, what happened last session. I've actually found a lot of uh, help in whenever we start the session and going, hey, what happened last time? And generally my mm -hmm. players will give me feedback on what happened and how they viewed everything. And then I'll compare that to my mm -hmm. notes and I'll see where we go from there. Okay, wow. Uh, and are you working, sorry, just uh, some clarification. Are you working off of like pre-published adventures usually or are you crafting it's a mix of like both. your... Oh, okay. So you... Yeah. Very cool. Um, for me, like like Shay said, session zero is super important. If it's if it's if it's a brand new campaign, and I generally tend to play with the same players, so it's it's maybe we're needing to go over new rules or whatever. I generally will have like if it's if it's uh, Strahd or some kind of horror-y campaign, I will usually have a list of like trigger warnings and things like hey. I happen to know you despise spiders. There are a lot of spiders. How We need to have this discussion about mm -hmm. how you want to handle this. Do I swap them out entirely? Do I just warn you ahead of time? Whatever. Because it's, it's always important to get buy-in from the players. So you want to make sure that everybody is invested. You want to find out what everybody's goal is. Everyone's there to have fun, but like, do you want to mm -hmm. have a super spooky horror -y game? Do you want to be all paladins running around writing wrongs? Do you want to have a Robin Hood style campaign? You just need to make sure that everybody's on the same page. Right. So like, like Shay said, prep for session zero, session one, I could do eight hours of prep easy. And that's a lot of mm -hmm. me and sometimes stuff the players are never even going to see. If I want to make sure that my own internal continuity is consistent, I'll have pages and pages and pages of notes. After mm -hmm. that, it's generally just a sandbox of, okay, these are the places they could go. These are the five or six different encounters I have in my head that they can mix it up with if something goes weird. But other than that, we'll, we'll just, you know, I, I like to let the players direct. So where, wherever the players mm -hmm. decide they're going to go is, is great. And I will, it's up to me to, to mix and match and, and keep up with them. Yeah. Going along with buy-in, yeah, that's especially for session zero. Session zero is not just to get all the players on the same page, but yeah, also me. Like, what I'll try to do is I have maybe five or six campaign ideas going on in my head um, that, you know, in various stages of completeness. Uh, but I even break those down further, and I have arcs, like kind of like little story arcs. And, you know, usually good stories will have a, at least a couple different arcs going on. And so... Session zero is an opportunity for the players to establish how some of them may know each other, but it's also an opportunity as they're building those characters for me to establish which arcs will touch multiple characters in a meaningful way and uh, which arcs I associate with which characters. And so that helps me kind of put together what the overall expected kind of story, uh, uh, you know, uh, multiple arcs, how, how the entire campaign flows together. Um, and then that makes it really a lot easier to make sure that everyone is being included in the story. Because I want what I want to avoid is I want to avoid having a situation where like chosen one stories are hard to do and keep everyone feeling thing. involved. Yeah, you could do like a chosen group sort of thing. You know, so I try to make sure that I have multiple arcs going at all times and different characters are likely to buy into those arcs because that also gives characters who may not have had a reason to know each other or care about each other particularly. It gives them opportunities throughout the whole game to become much more uh, closely enmeshed. Totally. Um, there's a question in the chat that we might want to talk about uh so for example my players are in skull and shackles at the moment and the open-endedness of that ap is hard to prep for any advice um oh no you go ahead john oh okay um i was just gonna say sandboxes can be very difficult to prep for and i think it's it's a good sign of a of a good gm to have i mean you don't have to know everything that's the first like you are human it is fine do what you feel you're comfortable with. And if you need notes or other aids, that's that, that's not bad. It's fine. Chill. It's a game we're supposed to have fun. If you're stressing yourself out over a game, you might be doing too much. But specifically with uh, sandboxes, you don't need to have specific knowledge. Just keep a generalized idea. I've never played Skull and Shackles, so I can't specify specifically to that. 
let's say the the one sandbox I always bring up is Curse of Strahd. If if you are playing Curse of Strahd, your players can literally literally decide they want to take the left at the next road, and you will end up you know you have you have this whole big area prepped, and they decide to go somewhere else. That's great. All you need is a basic idea of okay, it's a dark spooky forest. They'll have some dark spooky encounters. That's all you need. Mm-hmm. And then from there, if it takes a couple of minutes of, of leafing through something to find a certain enemy you want to do or a certain story element you want to do, maybe bring up some backstory of a character. Mm-hmm. The, the biggest trick is don't be so set on certain things. With a sandbox, you kind of have to have a generalized knowledge of all the things, and then you can drill down in certain instances without having to know all the things or have, you know, you're not recalling knowledge right off the top of your head because that would make me go nuts. Yeah, I've uh, run. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, and what I was going to say is because I've read sort of open-ended uh, things before. Like, for instance, in my current homebrew campaign, I, I, we, I gave them a job board, and I was just like, "Here's a bunch of different things that you can do." You know, this is a lost familiar, and this is a train robber, and like, you know, y'all can mm-hmm. do whatever you want. And I think with open-ended APs, it can kind of feel like you kind of have to have every single thing prepped and ready to go. But mm-hmm. generally, if you're kind of watching where your care where your players are, you can kind of see just about three or four different places where they might go, and that's what mm-hmm. I tend to put a lot of pe- a lot of prep into. And then if they go somewhere else, it's like okay, cool. Uh, you know, give me about five seconds. Let's pull this up. Let's get a new map. Let's go forward at that. Uh, it's also just kind of open, keeping open communication with them, uh, mm-hmm. because your players will. I your players will let you know where they want to go next. Like you'll mm-hmm. you'll have some forewarning. Yeah, uh, Dalvin in the chat has yeah a really good point on this. If your PCs go in an unexpected direction, there's no shame in telling them. Let's take a ten minute break. I need to read more on this. Um, I sometimes go a step further, where especially if I'm in a sandboxy environment, uh, I will try to wrap up the current play session you know, 15 or 20 minutes in advance. And I will ask my players point blank, like, what do you, what would you like me to have prepped for next time? What will you be doing next time? Um, where will you be going? Uh, and so their character is either in character or the players out of character can decide what's the next thing. Sometimes it's obvious, oh, we're going to keep fighting through this castle that we've been fighting through. Um, but if they're back at their home base, like, yeah, maybe they look at the job board and like, we think we're going to go, you know, rescue the cobalt miners or what have you. Um, and that helps a lot with being able to prep for that session the next time. Another thing I try to do is I try to make, I try to think of my story, especially in more open-ended sandboxy games, as this is what would happen if the player characters didn't exist, just in broad strokes. Here's the evil villains plans and here's what the good characters the good npcs in the world will try to do and sometimes they'll succeed sometimes they'll fail and all that just assumes no player character involvement at all and then in the moment it's easier for me to say okay if they interrupt the bad you know the bad people's plans here here's what they're doing and here's what their goals are and and it helps keep things feeling responsive rather than on rails yeah, exactly. That's it. Just goes back to the buy-in, right? Like, mm-hmm. uh, as as players, you want buy-in, and they want buy-in because there's the. It's an unspoken compact at the table. Players are there for fun. They want their characters to go through fun things and have a good time doing it. They're not necessarily trying to gotcha the DM or the the GM or the LM or whatever, whatever ter- the keeper, whatever term you're using for for your game. Mm-hmm. If players shouldn't be trying to gotcha you because that degrades everybody's fun at the table, which is the whole point. You're, you're you have you have adulted. You have found time to sit around the table. You don't want to waste yeah. this time. Mm-hmm. You you want to have fun. So a- asking them, you know, where do you think you're going to go? If if they if you kind of have an idea, uh, some, sometimes it is incredibly obvious, and that's that's. That's great. That's easy. But it's. I also love the idea of job boards because that is a very open-ended from the beginning as opposed to, okay, you guys come to a fork in the road. Which direction are you guys heading? And then you're just kind of like, all right. But at the same time, GM trick, depending on what you're doing, 
if, the, if there's something that's plot critical, which is not necessarily mm -hmm. railroading, I, I want to clarify that don't railroad your players. That's bad. Mm -hmm. That generally leads to lack of lack of fun. But you can mm -hmm. always swap things around. If the castle with the plot point that you need them to hit is to the right, and they go to the left, you can just switch. Just maybe the castle <laughs> unlocks. And some, you know, like yeah. it. Geography is fluid. It's fine, especially it's in worlds where magic is involved. Maybe it's a mag magical teleporting castle. It does not matter. It's, right. You can make it as ridiculous as you want, and they don't. The players don't know. If they know, then they've been reading the AP, and that's also bad. So <laughs> yeah. Or if they've, or if they, it's a half hour left of the session, and they have elected to go somewhere you haven't prepped. Well, great. That's what you have. You know, half a dozen random encounters that you can sprinkle in and like, okay, I'll just have them. They're going to that place. I don't have it prepped, but they'll run into some obstacle along the way. And then that'll carry us through the end of the session. And now I know exactly where they're going and I can prep the next session effectively. And that's a really useful trick. Uh, Shay, do you have anything to add? There's a lot of questions in the chat. So, uh, no, y'all covered everything. I will say this though. Uh, uh, I can't take full credit for the job board. I actually got the idea of TikTok, which was great. So, mm -hmm. Noted. For, for me, it's a throwback to old like computer RPGs. Like they'd have a lot of like. Sometimes it'd be a literal job yeah. board. It's like okay, yeah, uh, yeah. It's a, it's a it's a it's a great thing to keep on your in your back pocket, um, especially for like little one offs, uh, little side quests. Little if you wanted to, if you ever wanted to run a campaign, but sprinkle in little uh, short adventures like inside it as well. Like it's great for those too. Mm -hmm. Um. So this is an interesting question, and it's one I've dealt with. I'm not sure if you two have. Uh, they said, question, I know some players don't seem to engage with other player characters, NPCs, and so on. And when I ask them honestly, one-on-one, -on -one, if they're missing anything, they usually say, nope, having a blast. And this person's wondering if there's a way to drill down deeper to get them to interact more. Um, I'm going to be real. Like I've dealt with this a few times. Sometimes mm -hmm. players just really don't want to interact with PCs and NPCs. They just really want to fight or, you know, mm -hmm. they just really like doing the skill thing. And like at the end of the day, like if you're like, oh, well, you know, I really wanted this intrigue heavy thing where like everybody's mm -hmm. like talking with everybody and you've got to communicate with things like there's two sides to this. On one hand, they could be have they're they're most likely telling you the truth. If they're having fun, mm -hmm. they're having fun. If that's not disrupting your campaign, Honestly, don't worry too much about it. Uh, mm -hmm. If it is disrupting your campaign and it's not, it, it means that you know you're not hitting plot points and things aren't moving forward because they're not communicating with with important characters. You may have to have a sit down discussion with them. And be like, hey, like the way that you're playing at this table is not congruent with our with our the story we're trying to tell, and mm -hmm. y'all may come to the conclusion that that player just isn't comfortable, isn't a comfortable fit for your table. And that's not, it's not a happy thing, but it's also nobody's fault. It's different people just have different play styles. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I would say that there are some, I mean, you players come in all ranges of types of players. You have the, the min maxi power players who are like, no, my fantasy is I need to be completely optimized for every situation. And you have some mm -hmm. that are like basically treating it like a TV show that's slightly yeah. interactive. So they'll, they'll sit that's, back and they kind of watch the things and then they're like, okay, yeah. I'll do the role. But you know, like me personally, when I'm GMing, I am, I'm, I have my siren scape blaring. I'm standing, I'm, a, I'm half Italian. So I'm standing up in my arm, big dragons are coming this way. But as a player, I'm yeah. just kind of like, oh, all right, I rolled. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, I get the guy. Cause it's not, for, for me, the enjoyment I get out of playing it is the same reason I play like video games on the easy mode. I'm there for the story. Mm -hmm. So I'm not necessarily mm -hmm. there for the mechanics of the game. I'm not trying to min-max. I'm not trying to optimize. I don't care if I hit the thing. My little yeah. you know, half-orc ranger is just going to go around doing the thing that he wants to do because that's, that's what I get out of the game. P people may find it difficult to interact with different other types. And that's, mm -hmm. I mean, we've already talked about it. But again, going back to a session zero, sitting everybody down at the very beginning and being like, look, I want this to be Game of Thrones, like super intriguey, which means you mm -hmm. guys might have to do a lot of talking. If that's not something you want to do, let me know so I can make adjustments. Because that's yeah. as on, on us as a GM, the other thing we have to do is be flexible and sometimes adjust both the epic story in our head that we're thinking about 
because of the players that we have at the table, which is, and that's not a bad thing either. It's, it's, it's allowing everybody the room to grow and express how they want to do things. And as long as it's mm-hmm. not entirely disruptive, I mean, if you have one player who just wants to go around and literally kill everything, that's probably not going to be the best, you know, paired with the person who wants to be the super intriguey spy master type. So yep. if, and I guess the other piece of advice I would give is maybe discuss with that particular player playing a different class, playing a different character that doesn't necessarily have to rely so much on the talkie. Like if you're, if the face of your group mm-hmm. is a person who doesn't like to talk, you can make it work, obviously, especially if you want everyone to enjoy and have fun, but maybe they would be more comfortable being the ranger who just sits in the back and shoots arrows and doesn't right. have to be one who's constantly doing all of the social encounters. Because again, I'm ambiverted mostly and I I have a battery. I have a social battery. When that social battery is done, I am done. So it's it's totally understandable yeah. that for some people being at the table counts as draining that battery enough where they don't want to engage. Yeah. I tend to find that yeah, that some players are just observers. They are there for the camaraderie, they're there to hang out with their friends and they're there to enjoy the story that unfolds. But yeah, and usually I feel like a campaign can support one or two of those depending on the size of the group, like two in a group of six, one in a group of four is about where I found that it's not really a problem because everything's still getting done. And as long as everyone's cool and having a good time, that's great. The other thing that can be fun with that sort of a player is trying to just see what sorts of things bring them out a little more. Cause usually at least a couple things will make them get interested and, you know, just trying to subtly steer the campaign in that direction, not to cater to them, but to make sure that, they're getting the sorts of things that that make them want to engage more. Um, but yeah, it's not generally I find a problem unless like half the party is in observer mode and you're in like kingmaker and you're trying to like okay what where are you going like you're it's exploring ex- exploration <laughs> right. you've got six directions you can go what are you doing and they're like well it's like okay um, yeah then you have to kind of recalibrate expectations maybe you don't want to play kingmaker maybe you want to play something a little more railroady. Um, oh, this is a good question. Uh, how do you feel about working players' backstory into pre-written adventures? And my answer is yes, all the time. Yes, do it. Rip out important NPCs and replace them if you can get away with it. Like, like, like remove this. If this character player wants to play a backstory and you're like, oh, that's a lot like this NPC, just put them in that spot. Like, it will make it so much better. I, I can't imagine a case where it's ever gone poorly. Anybody else have uh, other oh, experiences I, with that? I love doing this. This is my this is literally my favorite thing. Uh, I I will rip out entire like sections of countries and just be like, oh, you're from this part of Cheliax, and it's actually going to this part of Cheliax. Nope, we're going to this part of Cheliax now, and we will put all of the stuff there. I don't care. It's great. Uh, anything that gets you more excited to see your character interacting with the world anything that really plays with it uh one of my things is um i i really like getting character backstories and i like specifically getting like lists of character family members that are alive and around so i can be like oh okay you said your character hasn't seen your father in five years well Mm -hmm. uh this mysterious benefactor is your dad oh go interact It's great. Yeah. Yeah, it's wonderful. Yeah. yeah. All respect to Ron and Jason and Eric and everybody who writes the APs. As a GM, <laughs> APs are not written in stone. You can literally change anything, take anything out. doesn't have to do it. Like, I'm running War for the Crown right now. The, the way my campaign is going, one of my players may try and take over the throne of Teldor. And so I'm doing a lot of, like, you know, going to have to rewrite that and take that out and put that in uh-huh. and do that. Which is fine. I'm having a blast, honestly. Like it's a lot of fun, um, but yeah. it's not the way the, the adventure is written. So it's it's taking a lot of switching things out. One of my uh, players decided he wanted to play a Stavian, but he didn't tell anybody he was playing a Stavian until they get up to a meeting with the princess, and then he's like, "Hello, cousin," and everyone mm-hmm. else at the table is like, uh, "Excuse me, I say what now?" And so that's it's like, excellent. "Oh yeah, yeah, like, no, that's all because that it gets those." aha moments it gets those mm-hmm. super excited buy-ins where someone you know it's the it's yeah. the the series finale of a tv show where everyone's flipping tables and being oh my god 
did that actually yeah. just happen? And you're like, yes. And as a, as a GM, that makes me feel real good. Cause like, yeah, I did that. I helped with that. Yeah. That's fine. I'm okay yeah. with that. <laughs> and that, and that's stuff that nobody at any publisher can do for you. Cause no. that has to happen organically. It has to happen as part of the player building the character and as part of the GM incorporating that character into the world. Everything, even the best APs are going to be written generically. Any classes, any, uh, you know, ancestries can play in this adventure. So all of the stuff that actually like helps the rubber meet the road has to be provided by the GM running the adventure. So, yeah. Yeah, I think we're all in 100% agreement. Rewrite, oh, yeah. insert characters. the living crud out of it. Absolutely. Uh, if you've got a paper copy of the AP that you're running, do not be afraid to take your pen and write notes. Mm-hmm. It'd be like, pay yeah. your character backstory here. If you're if you're afraid to do that, you have my permission to write in your book. You may write in your book as an editor. <laughs> or use Post-its if you're like me and you're like, it must That's be dope. pristine. <laughs> <laughs> Or if you want to run it for someone else later, that way you can just rip out all your old post-it notes, put in new ones. Although at that or point, it's kind like of a me. memento. Maybe you want to keep it, get another get another AP. Or you're like me and you use the PDF, so you just copy-paste and then insert your own mm. things yeah, yeah. in between. So if you've got my, my Google Doc on War for the Crown is huge because it's all like, oh, that's a really good idea. She said this thing. Okay. Go type up notes, insert here. So that's going to come back. You know, it's like the, the GM will remember this if, if we're a Telltale game. Anything the player says at the table will will get reconstituted later. And uh, like uh, one of my players in War for the Crown, she's playing an Andorran gunslinger. And mm-hmm. she almost came to blows with her own party over some NPC interactions in War for the Crown because I made one of the one of the NPCs an Andorran. And she was like, you know, that Andorran pride, uh, we're, I'm just here for the lulls. So this Talvin mm. nonsense you all got going on doesn't mean anything to me. I'm going to protect him. And mm-hmm. that NPC will be coming back later. And he's not supposed to be coming back as written in the AP, but he will be. Nice. Uh, yeah, um, yeah, I've got another question here that uh, might have some interest. I, I know how I do this, but I'm curious about how you two do. Um, basically, if you've got a large party and some people are high AC and damage, some are low AC and damage, you know, a bit of variance in how much like min-maxing has been happening. How do you plan encounters around that? So I tend to take the middle road with that. Um, Mm -hmm. I also, whenever I get into like combat encounters with things, I use Foundry a lot so I can automatically check it there. But like whenever I'm running like Pathfinder Society in person or something like that, I tend to take notes of like what everybody's AC is and what their, what their max health points are. Um, health points, hit points, hit points are. Um, Mm -hmm. And at that point, I kind of keep an eye on it. I make sure I'm not, you know, jumping on one person too much. Um, And, you know, I, I tend to take sort of like the lower level and the higher level, you know, mix of things to go, okay, what's in the middle that everybody can have fun fighting? Like, can I take off two zombies and throw in a skeleton? Will that make things a little bit easier on them? So, you know, that's generally what I do. It's also mostly just like, don't pick on your squishies too much. Uh, They're there to have fun too. Yeah. I usually try, especially with larger parties, I find that huge like 6v6 or, you know, 6v10 like slug fests tend to get really bogged down. And if you're playing, you know, four hours, that can easily chew through a lot of them if you have even more than one fight in the night. So what I try to do in those cases, especially when there's a power mismatch, is um, have multiple things happening, and you're doing jump cuts between them in real time. And so it's it's a lot like you know when action movies get frantic and they're like showing you different parts of like a battle or like different parts of a heist. You know, there's different teams working on different things based on their skills that they're good at. And so these characters might not be min maxed, especially not for combat, but you know, maybe they're the the rogue. And, the, and so what you can do is you can design your encounters so that everyone has something to do. If you've got someone who just really builds their character to the nth degree, you know, you can throw a higher level, you know, monster into the fight that you know they're going to take off after. And you can have, you know, if you have some skill, skill monkeys, you can have some things like some environmental hazards that they need to like, 
help the party navigate. If they're like trying to escape, you know, they need to untie the thing to make a makeshift bridge or, you know, that sort of thing. Um, and so just kind of when you're planning, the good thing about planning an encounter is, you know, what your players have in their tool kit coming into it. So you can tweak things so that everyone has something to do. And I think that's the biggest thing. Um, like the Lord of the Rings, nobody cares that Gandalf is so much more powerful than Pippin, right? That's not a point. The story is written such that Gandalf is busy doing something that only he can do, and Pippin is doing something that only he has noticed, right? And so if either of them weren't doing their job, no one would succeed. And that's, I think, where people with disparate power levels can really have an enjoyable story together because everyone's important, even if not everyone's the same level of power. Yeah, especially like in, in Pathfinder, when you have so many disparate classes that can do so many different things well, it's it's good to have a mixed group, but it's also good to play to all their strengths. So if you're going to plan an encounter uh, in a library, maybe maybe you, you leave some hazards so the, you know, the gunslinger can flip the table up and, and she can shoot someone as they're coming through the door because she's hitting touch AC it ungodly distances and maybe the rogue maybe there's a niche that the rogue can hide in so that as the first people come through the door they can sneak attack and you know it's always rogues always love to sneak attack it's always fun when they get to roll their extra dice because they feel like they're doing the rogue thing and as long as everyone mm -hmm. gets to feel like they're doing the thing that they wanted which is why they picked the class to begin with and it doesn't have to be every encounter some are going to be you know oh the, the, the level three bandits walked into a level mm -hmm. you know your pcs are level eight Sometimes I don't even role play those encounters. I'm just like, look, you, it, six rounds, maybe. You, and, you, and you guys dust them up and, you, and then you go back to bed because they were foolish. And that's also great, if they, especially if they've been kind of feeling down or feeling bored and need kind of a, a morale boost. Throw, throw them an encounter that's a, a few levels below where they're at so they can feel a, a super accomplished and quick at doing something. Mm -hmm. And then that can kind of breathe the energy back into the game, especially if it's been flagging for, the, for a time and get them to yeah. move on. Sometimes you want to do cool stuff. Maybe it's not, maybe the encounter isn't till death. Maybe the PCs are terrible at running away. So I don't always recommend throwing high stuff at them to make them run away because generally they don't. They assume they're supposed to beat the thing and move on. Um, yeah. But maybe you do, you know, maybe there's a cool dragon that does a flyby. And so it's, it's more environmental than it is an actual combat encounter. And mm -hmm. uh, I like to treat encounters with a capital E as not just fights. It can be anything. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's a rickety rope bridge that they have to cross, and that allows them to kind of sit together and and gather their their yeah. ideas, figure out how they're going to cross the thing. And mm -hmm. I'm I'm giving them XP for the whole thing. It doesn't matter. I I yeah. personally find that for me, it's it's better with Pathfinder too. But combat can get become a slog. And that's generally when people lose interest. So you want to keep things moving and dynamic. So whether it's combat or whether it's a, an environmental encounter, as long as they're involved and, and engaged and trying to accomplish the thing, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Yeah, one of my favorite tricks is to uh, include a couple puzzles that I can throw at players. Um, anything that gets all the players talking, huddled together, planning something out, is like free time for me. I'm like sitting there planning out other encounters. I'm like, listen, I'm half listening. So I like know what they're doing, but like, they're just all role playing with each other. That's free time for you. And so that's like, that's gold. Um, because it also means like you could either plan other things or you could hear what they're saying. And sometimes they come up with something that's better, or maybe it's just different than what you had planned. And sometimes not all the time, because They'll notice, but sometimes you should totally steal what they do, what they're talking about, what they think is going to happen, what they think would be cool. You should totally take that and incorporate that instead of what you had planned because people like to be right. And if they thought of it and thought it would sound so cool, then it's it's a gimme, right? You know, you know the reveal is going to go well and the person who came up with the idea is going to feel some accomplishment. So, yeah, I love I love to just let the players puzzle over something or make plans uh, because they're having a great time and it gives me time to be more reactive to whatever they decide to do. I think we each responded to that last one. 
Um, so I've got another question for us. How do you balance time pressures to complete a task versus the space to explore? My players tend to laser focus on anything that has a vague, even long-term time limit. Well, that one's a little bit tricky. Um, mm -hmm. I will say if your players tend to focus on just time limits, and they just and you just tend to go, oh, well, you know, you need to assassinate this guy before like X day on X month or else, you know, X ritual will go off. And they're just like, OK, we're just going to focus on that. And you're like, but I have all this other stuff that you need to do. Honestly, I just kind of let them do it and then let them explore on their own time. Additionally, just remove the time, the time limit. Just be like, hey, you know, so and so is not a great guy. Y'all should take care of that eventually. Um if you find that they're kind of wandering too much and you're like, we've gotten off track and we need to focus back in on the plot. That's when I introduce time limits. Um, I tend to not keep time limits on people. I tend to kind of be like, Hey, you know, all this is, you know, this is just going on in the background. Here's your stuff up front. Tell me where you want to go. Uh, I also have a shorter campaigns where I'm like, Hey, like, uh, for instance, this is my actually Pathfinder game. This is my uh, Monster Hearts game. I'm like, hey, uh, those vampires, they're doing that ritual tomorrow night. So, like, y'all need to probably get ticket on taking out these vampires. And, mm -hmm. you know, they, they're they like, okay, that's what we're focusing on. Yeah. It's what I... Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, it is, it is tricky because as... as the the author, the narrator, the the constructor of this story, you want the story to go well, and you want them to experience all the cool things that you've invented. Sometimes they do laser focus. I would say one way to handle it is if you don't want to if you don't want to allow them to laser focus or you or you want them to get a little bit of the laser focus for uh, another example is book three of war for the crown. Um, it gives you several options to do in a city and assumes a sort of generalized plot line for progression. Cause by the end you're looking at a CR 12 or 13 encounter and the players are supposed to be seven or eight when they get there. So if they, mm. if they jump, it could hurt. So maybe if they're too laser focused, Give them just a little, give them a little taste and be like, hey, this is what you're potentially up against if you do that. Some groups will be like, oh, that's bad. We need to go do these other things first. Um, but I also agree with Shay. If, if that's the way they want to play, then I would say that's one of those times where you as a GM can adjust your internal expectation and be like, okay, they, they're going to do this. But again, GM remembers, I'm going to remember that they do this and maybe... If they if if they have to assassinate this guy within a certain time limit and they just do it, what are the consequences of that? Well, now that the, the evil cult that the guy belongs to is starting to see that their guys are getting taken out in rapid succession, maybe that bites them the players in the butt later as part of the story because they've started to realize, oh, this group of people shows up in town and like we start losing all of our guys. That could be a mm -hmm. problem, and then you get more plot. And then that allows other things to move on. And it's it's not punishing the players. I really dislike punishing players. But mm -hmm. it's putting consequence of choice into the game, which is, I think, a, an mm -hmm. important factor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm reminded of uh, the J. Michael Straczynski, who the Babylon 5 creator, um, when asked about like how fast the ships travel, it's always like they move at the speed of plot, which, you know, <laughs> they will always arrive just in time save the day if that's what the plot calls for or they'll arrive just too late if the plot needs that to happen and i always like that as a concept it's harder to incorporate i think into a role-playing game because you do want to create at least some level of consequence you know as, as you've said um and so i think how i incorporate that is i try to establish you know, my, my BBEG's evil plan is a long-term one, and it has multiple steps and stages. And very few of those stages independently are catastrophic if the party just doesn't show up, or if they show up late, or if they fail. And so what that allows me to do is it allows me to create, 
you know, if, if a play, if players ignore or forget a deadline, then it allows me to have them experience a loss and a failure. That's not going to derail the whole campaign. They still have opportunities to claw their way back. They still have opportunities to uh, disrupt, you know, the evil plans at a later date. But then I also incorporate aspects of, you know, that timing failure into the future thing. Like, oh, you know, they visited this summoning circle so that they could, you know, summon the 12 uh, golems of the apocalypse. And so, like, later on, when they're fighting, you know, when they like, oh, wow, we really do need to buckle down and take out this, you know, BBEG. Well, now they've got some golems that they're having to fight as well. And they know, oh, this is because we didn't, we didn't pay as much attention. And that's not punishment. That's just the world reacting to what they've done. And like, exactly. you know, you're the G- you're the GM. They don't know what's happened before. You could always replace, you know, some of the mooks that the BBEG had in this particular fight with the golems, and they'll just think, oh, we could have had an easier fight with just the BBEG if only we had done that thing. And that can help galvanize players and give them a sense of common purpose. Failure, almost every campaign I've run has had a serious failure by the party. And almost every campaign, that failing point has been one of the key things that galvanized the entire group into like a unified party with a singular goal. once you get to that point, it's smooth sailing because everyone suddenly becomes interested because their favorite barkeep was seriously injured by, you know, the villain. And now they're like, oh, they killed our favorite. They injured our favorite barkeep. We're going to we're going to take him down. So. Um, let's see. I'm trying to keep up with chat, see what's going on. TPKs. Ah, homebrews versus APs and modules. What do you prefer? How do you prefer to? What do you prefer to do with those? Ooh, uh, I put my homebrew in my modules, and then I put my modules <laughs> in my homebrew. Uh, everything, you know, you got your chocolate and my peanut butter, that kind of thing. Uh, I love it. Uh, I will mix. I will mix and match, and I will invent new things, and I will take inspiration from other things like. Uh, here's a little spoiler in case any of my players from my homebrew game are, are watching this. Uh, there is a specific, uh, build in, uh, there's a specific section of the house in Malevolence where I'm like, oh my Mm. God, this is so cool. I love this. And I just kind of got, went, I'm going to take that and I'm going to put that in my homebrew. Thank you. And they'll deal with that later. Uh, and it's it's great. I, I mix and match. I think it's fantastic. Oh, totally. Yeah. I tend to mix and match too. Uh, not necessarily on a on a micro level, but sometimes on a macro level. Um, I've my first week of working at Paizo, I was like, so funny idea. What if we sink Absalom? And everyone was like, oh no, don't do that. That's bad. But at the same time, <laughs> like. You can you can mix and match. You know there was a, a whole discussion I had earlier about canon and how you treat it. Sometimes you sometimes there should be no line. Sometimes you can blend it. Just because the official AP timeline says this happens, then this happens, right. then this happens. What if it doesn't? If you've got a better idea, go for it. it you know the the yeah. AP is yours to change as you see fit. So yeah. Uh, there's I've I've homebrewed a lot of stuff in the War for the Crown right now that's not in the book. A because it's necessary because player actions are not you know they're not following a plot line. They they didn't get the script, so they don't know what they're supposed to do. But at the same time, it's fun to be able to just throw your own little thing in there and and have an encounter or two or a plot line that is yours and your own because you've created it. That makes you feel good. If your players enjoy it, that makes and you know they feel good about it. That makes you feel good more. Um, so what I generally do is I will run published APs 75-25. It's, it's, it's a good bare bones structure to start. And then everything in the middle of the sandwich is generally stuff I come up with. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, I mix and match all the time. One of my most successful campaigns is, uh, basically two of 
to somewhat obscure old computer RPGs that I just slam together and like let the explosion carry us through the whole like the whole thing is just like that's those two settings merged and then how do the players interact with it and it was really great um, but uh, with the APs especially I really recommend um, and this is I would recommend this even if I didn't work for Paizo I really recommend if you're using a Paizo AP get on the forums and go specifically to the sub forum for that adventure path because you will get dozens upon dozens, scores of really, really talented writers and GMs, some who are also freelancers who may have written some of the APs that you've already worked on, and they will have just so many extensions for every AP we've ever published. So many like advice, tips, changes they made, things they added, things they fleshed out, things that a lot of times the AP just has to cut for space. Um, Sometimes you have writers, I think I've seen writers of an AP come in and say, like, I can't give you the words that I wrote, but, like, I did write more for this. It got cut for space. Here's the general outline of what was there. And that can be really helpful, if, especially if your players seem like they're itching to go to that place that, you know, didn't get as much uh, description. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a huge way to, and you don't have to do everything. You can, the stuff that speaks to you or you think will speak to your players, you can take that and incorporate it in. Um, and yeah, definitely mix and match as much as you can. The more you mix and match, the more it becomes your, your own unique thing. Um, someone who plays Mike, who played my Kingmaker might have a completely different experience with another GM might have a completely different experience with the Owlcat game. Um, yeah, I think that's the best way to go. Yeah, and like an important thing to note is if you've never seen it, but in the back of like our last volumes of our APs, either the six to the threes, we'll have these little sections called continuing the campaign. And like that'll just give mm-hmm. you ideas. Cause if your players are like, no, I love this, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go, go. It's right there. Like, here's your seeds, mm-hmm. go forth, have fun. Yeah, and I've seen two different ways in which multiple APs can be used. Some part some parties want to create uh, basically their own spin-off, not spin-off, but their own, uh, you know, parallel universe of Galarian where they play through the APs in chronological order and each party's actions, the outcome from their AP, they then, the GM will rewrite or modify further APs to reflect what happened in the previous ones. And that's a totally legitimate way to play, but it's also fine to just play through one AP and then... That's your version of that story. And then you come back into default Galarian for the second AP and you start from the baseline again. And that way you don't have to maintain state between them. And they're both completely legitimate ways to play. So kind of, you know, some people like the extra work, but some people think the extra work is worth having that like custom crafted version of Galarian that's just for them and their players. Some people just like visiting from time to time and like seeing you know, how their game goes. So talk with your, talk with your players and do whatever makes sense for you. Session zero. But yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's essentially like, would, do you want the MCU or do you want other individual? And you, sometimes you want the MCU. Sometimes you want all of the interconnected stuff and that's fine. And that's mm-hmm. great, but it's also a lot of work. And so if that's, if, if you're not interested in that sort of overarching, you know, if you don't need to have the River Kingdom's name specifically that you've played Kingmaker before as you run into some, you know, into Taldor or whatever, it can be mm-hmm. default Galarian, we've done our bit, this was fun, now we can move on, and, you know, it doesn't have to reference anything, you don't, it, so, you know, as yeah. I, I am more of the MCU type, but I also like to treat APs as a self-contained book that I have read, and now that book is done, I can set that book aside and read another book, and it has no bearing on the books that I have previously read. Mm-hmm. Um, this question, I'm going to paraphrase because it's a little long. Uh, basically, there's a lot of downtime, and they've given their players stuff to do, but they've kind of chewed through it all. How do you deal with a party that has a lot of open time, but they seem to be waiting for the GM to like give them things to do? Well, uh, if they've chewed through like all of their stuff, and you're sort of like, oh, well, I still have, like, X amount of time. Uh, two options. Uh, one, bring in that character backstory. Uh, th- their mm-hmm. mom is now sick uh, with 
uh, cobalditis, and now you must go find the cure for cobalditis and send it to mom. Uh, Their long-lost boyfriend who went off to war and never returned, uh, well, he's a prisoner of war. Uh, they have to... The, the prisoner encampment is currently moving through their section. They got to go you know, jail bust him out. Uh, alternatively, are, why are you waiting? Uh, is, are you just waiting mm-hmm. just because you know, the AP said it takes X amount of time frame and you're tracking those days? If so, yeah. you know, feel free just to speed it up. You know? Whatever is yeah. comfortable for your table. Pull out a pull out a one shot set in that like location, or that could be set in that location, and drop it in. Yeah, yeah, or skip time. Like both are great. Yeah, sometimes you know, as 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 much as if everyone's going through downtime and you're tracking individual days and it just seems to be dragging, just give them a goal. You know, put on some '80s music, give them a montage. Be like, all right, so for the next two weeks, you're you know you're, you're training and you put on some Iron Tiger or whatever, and then everyone's like, okay, great. I also didn't have to track those two weeks like individually and worry about where I was sleeping every night or whatever. And you can just be like, eh, eh. you you figured yeah. it out. You were doing your thing. Let's let's get back to the actual meat of the story. Some people like the downtime. It it, it allows time for role play or it allows time for maybe training or entrepreneurship. If if you know your party owns an, an inn in town, they can you can spend a couple of. But again, that's another good story seed for. Some weird guy walks into the bar and starts drinking, and then you can drop some, you know, maybe uh, he knows a bit of the BBEG's plan, so that's like foreshadowing something that you have moving later on, and then they'll decide, oh, why are we sitting around town serving drinks? There's a flipping dragon two counties over that's like trying yeah. trying to find the, you know, the Necronomicon yeah. or whatever. Let's, let's go. And, and then or a bar fight breaks out. Right. Yeah. yeah. Or something, yeah. yeah. Like, it's, it's, it's always fine, but... Sure. Uh, I always it comes to about. them. Yeah. Yeah. Don't yeah. don't feel constrained um, by any specific timeline. I'm going to ask the chat because I don't actually recall getting instructions on how this works, or maybe one of you know. Uh, are we supposed to end with five or ten minutes, or are we going straight up to the hour? And do you two know? I don't know. No? Okay. We'll keep We'll keep going until I get an answer from chat or uh, 10 minutes. Okay, well, that means we're actually out of time now, unfortunately. Um, we oh, will be no. doing – yeah, we're out of time. But we're all going to be in our Discord. Uh, there's a chat room, uh, a channel in Discord for Game Master 101, and we'll all be in there answering further questions. So if we didn't get to what sh- a question you had, you can pop over there for the next hour, and we'll all be in there answering questions that you have. So uh, – Yep, so we're going to have to close it down there. Thanks so much for all the questions and, and, and for watching, fololks. Uh, we've had a great time. At least I have. I assume, I assume you have to. I'll speak for you. <laughs> and, uh, I love it. Yeah, thanks so much. Yeah. 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 I wish, yeah, I wish we could have another hour because, yeah, this is great fun. So, But thanks, everyone. Thanks, See everybody. You Thank you.